0: Everybody, welcome to the Sail Faster series of podcasts. My name is Pete Boland and I live in Washington, DC. And I'm the skipper and owner of a J105 based in Annapolis. So in this series, we talk to those who spend their waking lives and probably their sleeping lives too, obsessing about how to sail faster than anyone else on the race course. We're gonna find out how these top sailors got started in the sport, how they improved their performance over time, what they think. Today we're talking to Jen Sturmer. From the Annapolis area, uh, many of you will know Jen. She has got a fantastic racing resume. She's crewed on seems like pretty much everything from Express Thirty Sevens, J 22s Spars, Snipes, Four Twenties, J Seventies, and uh, and also now a J One Hundred Five. She's competed in a long, long list of national championships uh, um, from uh, college up to uh, up to recent years. And also a number of offshore races too, such as the uh, Annapolis-Newport race and uh, the Sork series uh, down in in Florida. I'm really proud to say that Jen is a key member of our J105 team on uh, London Calling. It always fills me with confidence when Jen steps on board. She's an expert main trimmer and jib trimmer and a great tactician as well. Um, but also, she just has an air of expertise and calm when she steps on board that uh, that I think uh, goes a long way to uh, helping us out. Um, so, Jen, uh, thrilled to have you. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Pete. I'm I'm happy to be here and be with you and learn more about your quest for sailing and also to share what I what I know and uh, where I've been.
0: Okay, let's do- let's dive in. Um, um, so first of all, t- tell us about you, Jen. Um, how did how did you get into sailing?
1: Yeah, um, my family, my parents, uh, when I was about five years old, started getting into sailing, and they lived in. Um, well, we lived in Arlington, Virginia, and they would drive every weekend, get up at four in the morning, and drive every weekend to Rehoboth Bay in uh, Delaware, and rent two sunfish. And had my, my mom had my three-year-old brother and one-year-old brother in one boat, and my dad had me in the other boat. And they just were so crazy about it, and they would go every, every weekend. And then um, we advanced to a little trimaran, and then they discovered Annapolis. And we started going and renting a uh, day sailor, a mariner day sailor, uh, out of Back Creek, down around where Burt Javins is. We, we would go out every weekend. And then uh, I guess when I was mm, seven years old, they bought a Mariner 2 plus 2, you know, with a cabin. And my mom actually made uh, sleeping bags out of wool blankets for all us kids. And we went out every weekend, like My mom would get up on the bow and break the ice. And we kept it uh, right across, uh, right next to where you uh, have your boat, uh, across from the old Murphy and Nyloft. It was Sailboats Unlimited. They they kept their boat there. And and we would go out every weekend. And then when I was nine, they bought their first racing boat, uh, Bristol 29, which is not really a racing boat, but it was a loaded boat and had everything they needed for racing and we started out uh they i think they bought it around boat show time and we started out uh frostbiting uh ayc frostbiting series same thing we're doing with you now um and that would have been probably back in um you know like early 70s so frostbite has been going on for 61 years it makes me feel like really old
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I've I've got to ask you Jen I mean this sounds like a really idyllic upbringing did you have any choice other than I had no choice
1: I had no choice my dad had his own business and we uh there was no kids sports back then you know there was no activities on weekends so we went every weekend and crewed for my dad and we loved it because having his own business we didn't have very many family vacations so sailing on the weekend was really the fun thing that our family did together and you know my parents were pretty brave to start out with such young children i mean once in a while they would bring another person on and when they did like the hampton race overnight races they didn't they didn't take us they did take adults but, you know, that's how we all we uh, there was five of us and it was the perfect size crew on a 30 foot boat. So they had the Bristol 29 for a couple of years. And then my dad got a uh, IOR boat, um, a Yankee 30, mm. which was, you know, a, a really fast boat. We won a lot of races on that boat. And like I said, uh, that whole time we were always racing against uh, Scott Steele's family. That's how I know him. And a Mm. lot of the people that I grew up with. And um, so we raced that boat. And then my dad got tired of all the uh, handicap systems. This was probably when I was uh, later years of high school. And he bought a Pearson 30, which was a one design fleet. So he would love the J-105 today. That would have been definitely been his boat in the day. But um, that's what we did then. The Pearson 30s are not that such a great boat. But he was all about the one design, which is such a fun way to race.
0: So Jen sorry uh, thinking about your sort of personal development when it came to sailing did, did did you was that did you learn from your parents or um how did you learn to well, Okay improve? so yeah so
1: I obviously started out learning with my parents but then as soon as I turned 9 which was the age it used to be uh we went to uh Severn Sailings junior sailing program so I started out at 9 years old that was the date the year you could start then now they have programs where you can start i think at 5 or 6 but i started at 9 and we started in turtles it was a small sloop not like the little opties you see out there today so we started out sailing uh the sloops and then moved from the turtles into 420s oh nice
0: but yeah so i was yeah.
1: concurrently yeah. sailing with my family and also uh going to sailing lessons at Severn Sailing Association Junior Program, and you know there the the Junior Program racing wasn't uh, like it is today. There was no high school sailing, they but we had weekend regattas, and if I wasn't sailing with my father, um, I would sometimes be able to take my 420 when my, when I got a 420. Over to the Eastern Shore, we did a lot of regattas on the Eastern Shore. That was kind of the big fun times, was going to St. Michael's and Cambridge and uh, Oxford to Tredavon Yacht Club. You know, those are some of my best memories because we would go down there racing and camping. And I had the 420 for the high school years. And then uh, when I went to college, I bought a laser. So during uh, those summers, I would sail my laser if I wasn't sailing with my father. So, yeah, I was, sailing was pretty much my, my life, you know, as far as my social life, let's put it that way. And, um, you know, something that was a lot of fun because when you're competent and you can, uh, have a really good time and, you know, sometimes win, sometimes not win, but the most part was being with all my friends, you know, and and making the boat go fast, right? That's what I'm all about. That's what brings me so much enjoyment is eking out that boat speed.
0: Um, I want to return to, or turn to, um, what you think are the key success factors of a winning racing formula for a for a boat and, uh, and a crew? I mean, I, I can think in my mind is probably having the right equipment, obviously, doing the right prep, having the right crew, and probably having the right right mindset, but there's probably a ton of other things as well. Obviously, um, what are, what are your thoughts on what the key success factors uh, that you found to be uh, to be the case?
1: Well, I I would agree with all four of those. I think that mindset is particularly important um, because it takes a lot of concentration. We all know that, and especially on the Chesapeake Bay in light air you really have to kind of stick with it and never give up because things change quickly. And I, I, I find that to be, uh, my best trait is like a real stick to itness. I am not a quitter and I will continue. And sometimes you have to like jerk yourself back into concentrating and really, uh, going for it all the time. You know, it's just, it's just like business. You have to like, never give up, maybe change uh, a little bit. I mean, obviously grow from your experience um, of what does work, but that that is a stick to it. is most important. And then as far as the equipment goes, you're right. I mean, you have to have uh, sales and other equipment that are going to make you competitive with the best guy on the course. I mean, he's going to have the good equipment as well. So that's almost a given. Preparation, I think, yeah, I mean, especially um, as part of the crew, but as the boat owner, you have to really be thinking about your crew. What do they need to keep them comfortable because they're spending their day with you? You know, you want to make sure that you have plenty of, obviously, food, drink, and snacks, uh, overnight races, all that kind of stuff. You have to really have that ready so that people don't start thinking about that instead of making the boat go fast and as far as the crew goes I think um, you know a like-minded group with uh, lots of respect towards each other and I, I I really do love how you run your boat like that I like your uh, respect towards each member of the crew and I think that's super key because you know some boats and I don't know if you've crewed with very many people but you know Sometimes the, the skipper's a yeller or somebody on the boat's a yeller, and that does not help. That does not help anybody because if somebody's yelling at you, it's going to make you probably screw up more because you, you know, you're nervous. Yeah, so for sure. I sure. think, that, and that is, you know, not, now that we're more, more mature people, but still some some older people still are yellers too. But that, <laughs> that would, to me would be... One of the main things is that the respect to each member of the crew and hearing them and, and like we had demonstrated after our big uh, East Coast weekend, you know, listening to what everybody's saying and then, and then learning from it and taking it from there. So I think that that's the, the most important things. I mean, like we're saying, the, the equipment is almost a given. You have to do it. You have to clean the bottom. You have to have the good sails. You have to make sure the rig's not going to fall down, that type of thing. But the people part is so crucial, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. And I I find I'm relatively new to sailing, as you know, and uh, especially skipping a boat. And uh, it's a very ego-diminishing experience when you're, you know, somewhere down the fleet. And there's just so I'm, I'm very much a low ego uh, listen to, I'm lucky to have you and others on the crew who know a lot more than me about it. So if you don't, if you don't, if you're not listening to your crew, then I think that's suicidal. Uh, The other thing I was just going to comment on was your point about, um, positive mindset. Um, I think that's something that I saw you demonstrate on, on Sunday's first frostbite that, uh, it was very frustrating and incredibly light winds. And we didn't seem to be making much progress. Forward, we weren't particularly with the rest of the fleet, but you were very much about. No, nope, you've got to stick with this. Don't give up. Stick with it because things will change, and they did for us, didn't they? And we, before the race was abandoned, we actually caught up pretty, pretty handily. So I want to turn this on its head a bit and then say, in your experience, what are the? I mean, you've you've sort of implied this in some ways. What are the traits or characteristics that you've seen from good skippers over the years? um And if you want, you know, have you seen what have you what what do in your mind poorer skippers tend to demonstrate or do i think that'd be quite an interesting conversation
1: well like i said i think that the poorer skippers will be ones that might yell when something's going wrong i mean obviously if it's a high wind situation then you have to yell for other people to hear you but a lot of times there's yelling just out of frustration and i think that that's a point as a as a leader um whether in business or on the boat you know we all know that. Uh, being even-handed and being more of a teaching mode is a much better way to uh, get a point across. And that's that's where I've always liked sailing with people uh, when it's like a like-minded group that is everybody's there to win and everybody wants to learn. and we all learn every time we go out. And one of the the best things, uh, my friend Henry Filter always says when we say good luck, he says, I don't believe in luck. He says, luck is really pre- preparation when preparation gets to meet opportunity. So that's, hmm. that's what yeah. I, I love that saying. And I like to think about our crew on London Calling. You know, we're all coming together and getting better. And our crew will keep getting better. And then that's where we're going to have our preparation meet opportunity you know to take take a chance of uh getting a really good finish so
0: i love that i've, I've never heard that that's a great aphorism isn't it that yes uh,
1: luck this opportunity, preparation meets opportunity
0: yeah we need yeah. to uh write that on a boat somewhere okay let's, let's <laughs> move on to um it, it, there are many i realize there are many phases of a race right uh for you uh, i'm just curious about what what do you think is the most important phase of a race? And I mean, and, and also, is there a particular phase of the race that's most important, or do they? I mean, I know they all count, but what's what's your opinion?
1: Yeah, I think that um, all of them are important. Obviously, the start we all know is crucial, um, but even from the start on, boat speed is king. Boat speed, boat speed, boat speed, and you know, if you're really fast, it can make up for some tactical errors. And I think that that is the, the key. And that's what, what really good teams get to is the shifting gear part. And especially sailing on the Chesapeake where we see that up and down so much that you have to be ready all the time on your trim that you're constantly tweaking it. Uh, to make sure like that slot stays just right. So like, let's just say this weekend going upwind, I think, um, you know, we saw that when we, we didn't hit as many waves until we were off the wind. So it didn't really matter as much upwind this time, but the little ups and downs in wind pressure and when you're hitting waves you want to be like easing that jib just a little, bringing it back in, easing so that the, the slot is constantly optimal. And I, I think that that's upwind and then, you know, downwind, which is kind of my favorite from being a, a shoot trimmer person that, you know, just keeping that boat constantly on the edge uh, for maximum boat speed in the trim is, is so crucial. And what's interesting with these new asymmetrical boats is that, you know, it's really a dance with the, uh, the trimmer and the skipper, uh, ke- keeping that boat speed just perfect, you know, sailing high enough to get the boat speed, but sailing low enough to sail the shortest course. So that, that's, that's what I would say. Uh, and just, and that goes on to the next question of the focus during the race. I'm constantly looking for boat speed
0: hmm so um i want to unpack that because you said a lot there It's really super interesting um the certainly boat boat speed from the start is um it's quite it's quite challenging isn't it because um i find as a skipper uh, and uh, uh, that um that i'm wanting to go upwind rather than for look for speed first of all and i know every everything I've read, everything people tell me about is in that first minute or two, just foot off, go for speed, get your nose out in front of in front of others. But every instinct I have is screaming for me to, um, Keep it up, you know, to, to head up when he it up. So that's quite um, an interesting it one. Is. And then the, the, the other thing I just want to unpack for a second is the is the constant trimming of the, the sails because it's up and down. And, and right. by the way, I, I sent myself to sleep last night trying to read up, um, uh, what Dennis Connor says about, uh, velocity lifts and velocity headers, <laughs> trying yes. to recognize those. Well,
1: exactly. And, and where, where that jib needs to be cracked just a little bit sometimes. And that's what I think, uh, you know, we can work on during the frost fights with our crew is the shifting gears of, you know, not just setting the, the jib to the tape and, mm. um, mm. you know, looking for when there's a little bit of velocity, crack it, you know, bring it in a little bit more. When it's out, ease it. And and that's also with the skipper totally, just totally moving the helm slightly to, to get with that. And then when it lightens up, the skipper foots off again, the sail is eased again. And I think that exactly, you know, like you're saying, the speed off the line, you've had good positioning on the line. You have to make sure that, you have enough of a, a 10 second approach where you can have your sails trimmed in so that you can have boat speed at the start or the other guys that are, you know, a little bit behind, not so close to the line can roll up and roll over you. And so you have to be at speed at the start. And then if you do get rolled, that's when you have to like foot off more so that you can either get off to lure it a little bit so you can make a clearing tack or you've got to get a lane. And I think, uh, you know, that was a little bit of our problem on Sunday was that we didn't get a lane and we were eating bad air and it, and it felt like we were going slower and slower. And it was hard to make the decision to tack because there was no wind to really tack in either. So it's, uh, you know, it's a combination of stuff that's constantly being tweaked to try to optimize that boat speed so that you don't fall behind into somebody's bad air off the
0: line i was reading actually i don't know if this is true but i was reading that um if you foot off but you don't ease your sails you don't increase boat speed i don't know no. if that's true but it is true is it that's uh
1: yeah i mean because you yeah. you're the the slot is going to change on that you know it's like you're you're too uh bound up you've got yeah. what you're yeah. trying to do is open up that slot is really what you're doing right I mean, that's, because the but, molecules of air are flowing on both sides of the sail. I'm sure you've seen drawings of that. And you're constantly wanting those molecules to flow evenly on both sides of the sail. And if there's a back eddy because that sail is too tight up to the main, that's where you're you're getting stalling and that's slowing you down.
0: Yeah, and, and we learned, didn't we, from the quantum guys that you need that jib actually twisted off more than you would think um you know even when you're pointing uh, to right. get the the you know the sort of the the even parallel flow over the over the foils um so so boat speed um so boat speed for you is number one i need to know this so you can yell at me um nah. and then are you, do you judge that by i mean we've got all sorts of G gear on the boat and that sort of thing are you are you looking at speed on the instruments or are you is it more feel for you well, given the, your dinghy I, experience, which I, I, I don't have any of,
1: yeah, I think it. I think it's both, but obviously, to have a measurement is obviously the most helpful, so that we can see what we're doing, if we're uh, increasing or we're or we're not increasing. And yeah. I, th- I think that it's the best tool to use. Um, I mean, obviously, you can have it with uh, comparable to other boats next to you but uh just for yourself you know trying to eke out that little extra tenth of boat speed yeah the instruments are super important
0: and then um i want to go back to what you said about being a spin spin tremor. i know you have experience of that and i um i just wanted to talk to you uh, about that for a while um because um you know uh, uh, when you're driving obviously especially when you have a wheel i don't think you get so much feel for the boat i mean you can feel the wind on you know the back of your neck and the the boat starts to heal and I'm too new at it to um you know I'm always like five seconds behind where what you guys are always thinking when you've been successful at trimming the chute and presumably that's when you have a successful partnership with a with a, a driver what, what does that what's that feel like to you what, what's going on
1: well you know on these uh asymmetrical rigs I think, like we're saying, it's a, it's a real communication. So the driver can also be watching the boat speed. And if the speed is, you know, pretty steady, and then it goes down, you got to head up. But the trimmer can also tell you, hey, I'm, and, and Mora does do this, it's getting light. You need to head up a little bit. You know, it's all just a matter of a couple of degrees, five degrees, Usually it's not so much, but it's enough to keep you in that groove that we're, that we're looking for. And I think that that's, you know, the, the skipper is kind of looking at the boat speed. Hopefully somebody's watching for puffs behind. And then obviously we can drive down if you get a puff so that we can sail the shorter course to the mark rather than heading up trying to just keep the boat speed going. So I think that that's that's what we're talking about is that there's this constant uh, you're you're kind of working it up, coming down in a puff, or when you have good speed, it's almost like the same thing is um, when you're going upwind and you're you're pinching it to keep it flat, and then you're going off when you can when you're. The boat's uh, not t- heeled over too much, and you can b- go down a little bit again. You know, it's that same, like working on the edge of the wind constantly.
0: Mm. The other thing I find so hard, actually, Jen, is, you know, I, I, I'm completely concentrated, covering the windward mark. And as the skipper, you're trying to get around that mark unscathed. But the decision on whether to, to you know, uh, sort of go ahead or jibe at that point, whether to go high or whether to jibe or whether to go low or high. That um, uh, that's that's phase of the race I find really difficult, because you then have to sort of think of things backwards. So if we came in on a lift, um, what does that mean for whether you jibe or just do a bear away set sort of thing? Do you, I just wondered—is that um, this is an area where you have a ton more experience than me, in, do well, you, is there a formula you have? You know? I,
1: I think that there's a couple different things going on in that decision. Um, you've got uh, where the wind is. Obviously, if there's more wind on one side of the course, you've got where the oh, yeah. where where yeah. the currents rolling. If you're trying to get out of the current, or you're trying to be in the current, and you've got where your competition is. I mean, you you know, key to all is to cover your competition not, not go the opposite way of your competition. If you're in front of them, I mean, if you're behind them, sometimes you do that just to like, I'm going to take a chance because I, that's the only way I'm going to catch them. Yeah. But, uh, um, for the most part, you, you want to be covering your competition. So it's, it's not a a really clear cut answer, but I would suggest that, um, it might be neat. And I don't know, many years ago there was, uh, and I'm sure there are, there's like. a video game of that and you can actually see when the wind is shifting because really what it is is geometry going downwind mm-hmm. you are trying to sail the shortest course to that mark and you have to sail at an angle with the asymmetrical shoots. you can't head straight to the mark okay so you're trying to find if the wind is going to shift this way and i'm going to jibe here that puts my course so much shorter than these guys that went the on the other side, and it might be fun for you to just check that out just to see the geometry of it And that way in your mind, you'll kind of see what i'm talking about
0: yeah i, I look I, my, that's my problem i was absolutely hopeless at geometry and mathematics when well I was a, not much better school. than
1: that but i just i know i've seen that it's a good demonstration <laughs> to see how when the wind is clocking around and you can see which way is a, is the shorter path
0: well, if, if you can dig out that, that um, you said it's a computer game or something, I'd be, uh, this I'd be is, fascinated. I, I play,
1: this is like, you know, 30 years ago, probably. But I, I'm i sure there's people that can recommend that. And the wind <laughs> changes. And it's just fun to, to actually see the geometry of it. That's why I'm saying that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've i sort of read about that. And, and I have to then sketch it out like 10 times right. so I get my head around okay, if the wind clocks around here, then what do I do when I come around? But then applying that to the race course is impossible for me. So that's why I'll I'll just continue to rely on on you.
1: Well, right. And then, well, the point is, is that that's, uh, you know, it's it's always different because of the competition, the current and the wind is Uh that. But that is what's going on is that if you can be the one that figures that angle thing out, on the way the wind the, where the puffs are coming in and you get to the side that has the shortest distance
0: yeah you that's how that's how you win and it's the other thing that you know going up wind, staying in phase of the shifts which makes all the sense in the world yes but sometimes that's really hard because of conflicting traffic because of you know tactical considerations of other of other boats so that, that's a pretty hard one. But hey, I want to move to something else. Um, well,
1: I mean, just to quickly address that is, is, if you are in a shift and you know that you need to tack and you have competition around you, you have to make that decision of, am I going to tack immediately and lead that boat back? You know, let's just say he's above you so that he doesn't get on your air you tack right away and you so that way you stay in phase with the shifts and you're leading him back even though you're below or you say okay i'm going to let him go i'm going to sail a little further and get myself a clear lane Hmm. and that's the that is usually the, the, the the decision that has to be made because if you're fast enough you know you trust your boat speed you can tack right when they're tacking and lead them back and they are not going to roll over you. But if you think they're going to roll over you, then you have to sail a little bit further and then tack in your own lane to get back in the right shift. And and that's the point too, right? Because you're staying in a header longer than you should, but yeah. you're making a strategic decision that I know this guy's going to roll me and then I'm going to be sitting in bad air, which is which is worse, right?
0: Hey, I, I'm, um, you've cruised a lot. So I'd like to ask you a bit of a different question really about what's your advice. Uh, you know, people who listen to this might have, um, you know, 50 years of career experience. They might have uh, 50 days of career experience or even less. And um, I just wonder if you had any, uh, any advice for somebody who's looking to do that, what, what, that, how they should behave on their first couple of, uh, runs out.
1: Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, being a good listener, uh, doing whatever is asked if you're, Even just rail meat, we all know it's important for the balance of the boat. I mean, you you just uh, be happy to be able to come along. That's how I always feel, and I I love coming out with you guys. I love making new friends, and um, I think that is it. Is like don't think that you're better than anybody. Just go in and give your best, um, and and really be listening for what the crew is looking for, and you know what the skipper. Is is asking of you too. Obviously, you're trying to support them as much as possible. I think that is is being a supportive crew member um, is always helpful.
0: You and I had a conversation actually uh, at the last race about um, making sure your voice is heard, and uh, and that's that's hard, isn't it? For, for maybe for some people, especially if you're new, is you know you've got a point of view. You think that the the skipper uh, could be doing something different and and you know i could see on the for you on on sunday that you uh i could sense you uh, a bit frustrated in a couple of times and that's why i said to you just tell me tell me what your instinct says because your instinct's better than mine but thoughts um on um how you get your voice heard during a race
1: yeah i i think uh you know a lot of times it's uh if, if you think you know something, maybe respectfully posing a question, but if you have information to feed in, I think it's like, especially if you're the, let's just say you're the person on the rail calling puffs, you're speaking, that everybody's listening to you, to, you know, like you know you're being heard, right? Mm. Or or people are relaying the message. But I think that, um, you know, just being respectful and, and speaking with the person is the best way. And sometimes... Uh, possibly um, just like we, we know from business, (laughs) you know, I mean, we're talking about not just direct communication, but like um, Sam, the sandwich method, right? Like you say something nice, you say what really needs to be fixed. And then you say something nice again so that it doesn't (laughs) hurt the person. You're not trying to hurt the person. You're all, this is the thing is that you're all going for the same goal. You want, you want to win the race. You want to do the personal best. It's not even winning the race. It's doing a personal best is what feels so good. So I think that once the crew, and I think you have a crew that's building this way, that everybody supports each other, and it, we're all trying to get there.
0: I, I love the sandwich method. I, I I think I've never heard of that before, but I think it would, in our case, it would be. Uh... Pete, those um, that hat you're wearing is really nice. You're going the fucking wrong direction. Uh, <laughs> y- your <laughs> shoes look nice too. That would that would be the sandwich. <laughs> no,
1: no, not that. Your hat's really nice. You're you're going slow, um, but you know, let's try, try again, right? I mean, really, it's it's not. I mean, we all make mistakes. It's just that we just have to keep supporting each other. I mean it's going to get better if we keep working at it. And I think that's the whole point is that you're demonstrating that you really want to get better at it. We're going, we're doing the frostbites. I think that's a fantastic practice arena.
0: Yeah. I, I it's been our first year. For those who don't know, it's been our first year on a J one and five in, in, you know, probably the country's most competitive fleet. And, uh, we have done okay. I think we've been in, you know, we're, we're always around the bottom, uh, third, uh, sort of maybe sometimes the top of the bottom third and, uh, we're definitely making uh making progress for sure and it's been absolutely brilliant it's been wonderful sailing with you i've learned so much from you and you're such a great positive skilled you know partner to to have on the boat for sure um hey i've got our standard sail faster question what, what's your favorite post-race bar or restaurant or thing that you go to after it can be anywhere in the world just just curious
1: Yeah, I think I, when I looked at that, I thought about it and I thought my favorite, my favorite memories is the, um, Eastern shore where I live now. I feel so lucky, but Mm. as a, as a girl, my, one of my very favorite races and still today, I haven't done it in a few years, but is the uh, Oxford race and up at Avon Yacht Club. It is just the most idyllic place and they used to have Great parties, they still have great parties, but you know when you were young in your twenties, that was just like that was the regatta weekend you did not want to miss. So that has a lot of fond memories for me, and uh, you know, obviously you you don't remember, but there used to be a bar. It's where Ruth Chris is now. It was called Marmaduke's. That was the sailors' bar. And that was always so much fun, and I guess today's closest would probably be Davis's pub, but. Um, you know, I love I love all the races over to the eastern shore. It's just kind of a almost of another era, uh, just so. We such should do beautiful. one
0: um, next year. Let's plan oh, on yeah. doing one next you, year because it... definitely.
1: And, and even if Jackie didn't come, she could come meet us at the party, and you know, it's just you would love it.
0: Yeah, Jackie's my my wife, and who is a an avowed non sailor. Uh, but, but she's still uh, very... like
1: oxford and she loved the party and you could get her a room yeah. for robert morrison so she could stay in style
0: this sounds like a plan she's very very supportive of sailing i think uh, because it keeps me out of the house which is probably a good thing from her point of view um <laughs> I'm, I'm only i'm only kidding um hey this has been brilliant jen thank you so much for your time i know you're incredibly busy so i really appreciate your insights i learned a ton here Um, From you. And um, thank you very, very much for uh, joining uh, the Sail Faster podcasts.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, if you need any other ideas for people to speak with, just let me know.
0: To hear more of our conversations about racing sailboats, make sure you subscribe to the Sail Faster series wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to sailfaster.net to sign up and learn more. Thanks for listening and see you on the water.